Thanks very much. I appreciate that. So I want to start the message this morning with just a little trivia quiz for you. Uh, it's only two questions long, but it's actually each question has two parts, so I guess it's four questions. But my hypothesis is that a, a lot of you will be able to answer the first part of each question, but uh, significantly fewer will get the second part correct. And so we'll, we'll see how this hypothesis turns out. So first question, who was the president of the United States that guided the country and, and I want you to raise your hand. Don't say it out because you don't want to give it away to other people. That guided the country uh, through the Civil War. If you know who that president was, raise your hand. Yeah, pretty significant number of you. And the answer is Abraham Lincoln. Right, we got that down. All right, second half of the question. Who was the president who followed after him? Raise your hand if you know. couple of years starting to get it and the answer is they must not get it with great confidence because nobody's speaking out of course his vice president Andrew Johnson Andrew Johnson okay it's going to get tougher now it's going to get tougher here it's the second question I'm guessing uh, first part again I think a lot of you will get who was the prime minister of England credited with guiding the country through the end of World War II Raise your, raise your hand if you know. Don't give the answers away, right? Yeah, and the answer, Sir Winston Churchill, right? Who was the prime minister who followed after him? Hmm. Famous Garden. His last name is the is same as a famous garden. That doesn't help anybody? Sir Anthony Eden. <laughs> Sir Anthony Eden. <clears throat> so, you know, it's an interesting fact, I think, that certain men and women uh, stand out as, as great people leading, you know, a group or a, a country through difficult times, and we remember who they are. But seldom do we remember or know much about who follows them. Let me ask you a third question. Who was the man? who led the children of Israel out of captivity from Egypt. Anybody know? Raise your hand. And the answer is Moses. Now I'm hoping a significant larger group of you get the second half of this question right. Who was the man who followed him? Joshua. Now, now I, I suspect that there's a reason why so many more of you knew the, the second half of the answer to that question. Number one... Uh, and I'm hoping from a pastor's point of view that this is really it, is because you're really far more interested in learning and studying and, and knowing the Bible than you are world history. Uh, but secondly, uh, you know, Joshua became a great leader in and of himself and, you know, has a book of the Bible named after him. And it's a lot easier to remember a guy who has a book named after him. And, and so uh, we're going to take a look at Joshua. Oh, yeah, that makes it easier for a lot of people. <laughs> Should have put Sir Anthony Eden up there, and a lot of you would have got that, right? <clears throat> Joshua, chapter 1. Open up your Bibles. Father God, we are very thankful for the opportunity we have had to worship so far today. And Father, we pray now of your work through this time of preaching. God, we pray it would be all of you 
all about you and all because of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the New Testament, it uh, is very clear that uh, we as believers are soldiers in a battle. The apostle uh, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He's identifying themselves as soldiers. And as a soldier, of course, there are many deprivations and hardships that we have to put up with that you wouldn't put up if you were an ordinary civilian, right? And as Christians in this world, uh, we are many things, but ordinary civilian is not one of them. Uh, The fact that we are soldiers and at a war uh, is why we are told in 2 Corinthians 10.4, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And just so someone wouldn't get the uh, wrong idea, get confused that maybe God was indicating that we should have some kind of physical warfare against people, something akin to a Muslim jihad type of idea, he doesn't want that at all. He explains in Ephesians chapter 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against people? No, against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against people, flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Our battle is a spiritual struggle, not a physical war, but we are soldiers nonetheless in that battle. That is who we are. Uh, and, and, and we need to understand that that means we're living in a war zone. This, this here is not our home. This is not the place where we find rest and take our ease. This is the battlefield. And until we get home, we are called to always be prepared to stand firm, ready to fight. And Joshua, I believe, is a book that can help us understand what it means to be a soldier and to do battle. And I, I know a lot of uh, people, you know, they tend to look down a little bit on the Old Testament and think, oh, why, why do we, you know, bother studying the Old Testament? I mean, things are different now because of Jesus, right? I mean, the people of the Old Testament, they were still waiting for the Messiah to come, but now we know, you know, all of that's been fulfilled in Jesus. We have seen His coming. Uh, we know what His death and resurrection uh, means for us. And unlike, you know, the Old Testament believers, we, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling right inside of us. So, you know, shouldn't we just stick with studying and, and knowing the, the New Testament? I, I've, I've had, you know, people tell me that type of thing. Or on top of that, there might be some that are thinking, you know, Joshua is known as a historical book. And who likes to study history? You know, that's a pretty small group. Uh, uh, There's some people here that would maybe be thinking, uh, you know, wouldn't we be better off looking at the things in the Bible that directly apply to us instead of talking about the history of the uh, Jewish people in the Old Testament, the history of Israel? And actually, there's a New Testament verse that would have an answer to both of those objections. The Apostle Paul was 
teaching uh, the Christians in the church in Corinth, and he was using an account from the, the life of Moses to instruct them. And in that, he said, now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. See, Joshua is not just a book of history. It is a message from God to us. And there are examples in that book that we can learn from, lessons that we can discover about living the Christian life, both from the way that God instructed them and from the way that they responded to God, followed and lived for Him. So, with those thoughts in mind, let's delve into Joshua. And in the first chapter, we're going to find three essential ingredients to prepare us for battle. God calls us, to be a soldier, but he doesn't send us out to battle unequipped and untrained. And in seeing how it is that he prepped Joshua, we can also learn how he has prepped us and is prepping us. There are three truths, and God emphasized to Joshua, and I think he wants to pass them along to us. And the book starts rather abruptly for the beginning of a book. Look at verses 1 and 2. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them to the sons of Israel. Now usually you don't start a book by talking about the death of the hero. I mean, Moses was the quintessential leader of Israel. He was the deliverer who brought them out of slavery from Egypt. He had been the glue that held them together through all the trials and tribulations of that past 40 years of wandering in the, the, the desert. He, he pleaded uh, to God on their behalf, even when the people had been acting unfaithfully. God provided many miracles through the hands of Moses, saving the people from thirst and from starvation and, and, and sickness and enemies and in a very real way, Moses was their connection with God, and now Moses is dead. So what does God tell them to do in that situation? Sit around and get depressed? Lay around moping and complaining? Forget the whole thing because Moses, our great leader, is now gone? Absolutely not, right? Moses was dead, but not God. God was still alive and well. So the first thing he does is remind Joshua of his promise and then the need to act based on that promise. God had a land that he was giving to Israel. They needed to rise up and take possession of it. Just because Moses, the leader of the people that they had counted on for so long, was, was, was gone and out of the picture that does not nullify or change even one iota the plans and the promises of God. And it may be possible that some of the children of Israel fell prey to a, a wrong kind of thinking that can plague people still today. And that is that they put too much stock in the human leader. 
There may have been some, you know, who were thinking in their minds, oh, Moses, he was, he was the one who got this whole thing going for us. He was the one who came and confronted Pharaoh and, and was able to lead us out of captivity and into freedom. And he guided us to the holy mountain where we received uh, from God his laws and commands. And he led us through those long years of wandering in the wilderness. What are we going to do without Moses? Oh, woe is me. How are we going to finish this thing without our great leader? And God was reminding Joshua and through him, all of God's people, that God's promises are not dependent upon the spiritual leaders that he chooses to use to help guide his people at whatever particular time. (coughs) Moses was dead. But God was still going to do what he had set out to do. And he would raise up a new leader to carry on his mission. And I think it's a good reminder to us today not to, to place an undue emphasis on the human leaders that God uses. Our confidence cannot be in them, but in the plans and promises of God who does not grow old and weak and does not die. If we want to develop a a battle-ready faith that will stand firm when the testing comes, then that faith has to be anchored in God and His promises, not in any man or human leader, even though God may use a particular man greatly. Uh, you know, and that's not to say that we shouldn't be thankful for the men and women that God has placed in our lives, uh, the parents who love God and and live out their faith. That's an incredible blessing and has a huge impact on their children and and many other people as well. A husband or a a wife whom God has used to encourage and strengthen you in your own faith. I mean, that's a wonderful gift of grace. Uh, A pastor, a mentor, a Bible study leader, a a Sunday school teacher, a a close friend. Uh, These are all people that can build into your life. And, we, and they can be a benefit beyond measure. But our confidence must be in God, not in them. Like Moses, even the greatest and the best of spiritual leaders can stumble and fall. He or she may fail, but God will not. His promises endure and go on no matter the changing circumstances or situations of our lives. His promises can be counted on all the time. And they are there for us. It's not just Joshua as he was writing to this. I mean, writing to the church at Corinth again, the Apostle Paul reminded the believers there, for as many as are the promises of God in Him, meaning in Jesus, they are yes. Every promise of God is for you because of Jesus, and it is a certainty. That is why this time of mourning and this time of unsettled uncertainty about the future, God drew Joshua's thoughts away from Moses and back to his promises. It was by focusing on his promises that that he was able to build a strong faith ready for battle, and we can do the same thing building that strong faith, ready for battle whenever, wherever, and however that battle may come. And that leads us right into the second truth that helps us prepare for the battle. Look at verse 5. It says, 
No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. And these three truths that we're going to look at this morning, they're kind of intertwined, repeated back and forth uh, throughout this passage, but uh, this one perhaps more than the others. But I think its best presentation comes in verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The second truth that God gives to prepare us as soldiers for the battle is the assurance of His presence. And just in case you might be tempted to think, well, you know, that was just for Joshua because, I mean, he's the newly designated leader over the people of Israel and and he's been given that task of leading the conquest of the promised land and and God had to do something special with him because all the people were used to following Moses and under his command and and now they had to to switch to Joshua but no it's it's not just for him in the New Testament uh, book of Hebrews this exact promise is applied to every believer and it's put in a context that you know makes sense for us Hebrews 13.5 says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. You see, if we want to have a faith that is prepared for battle, we have to know with absolute certainty where our security comes from. God was telling Joshua in the face of great physical danger from a formidable foe to be strong and courageous, to not give in to uh, discouragement or trembling fear or to be dismayed. And what was that command based on? Was, was it the fact that Joshua was such a well-trained, highly, highly honed fighting machine? You know, that his skills were better than everybody else's? Not at all. Joshua could be strong and courageous not because of anything in himself, but because of the assurance of God's presence with him. And God wants us to know that same thing. So he put that promise to us again in Hebrews in a different context, right? Have you ever caught yourself saying something along the lines, boy, if I just had enough money, I wouldn't have to worry about blank. And then you can fill in the blank with whatever that issue is, right? See, we are very prone to seek security from finances. But this promise from God reminds us that our security cannot be in money. Money is way too uncertain. Only God can be trusted to be there for us always. And beyond that, we need to know that God is with us when we face the hardships and trials of the battles of this life. Bad things can happen to those living in a war zone. And we live in a broken and fallen world. And when something hard and hurtful happens to us, Satan almost always immediately tries to take it advantage. And and frequently, he'll do that by insinuating the question, so where was God for you? Where was God when this or that was happening? And the answer is, God was and is right there with you. 
And he, he hurts with you. But he is also there to strengthen you, to hold you up and to carry you when necessary. In his presence, you find comfort and peace and healing. And we know that down here on earth is not the time when all things will be made new and all things will be made well. We know that's yet to come. But by holding on to Him, we are guaranteed of that time when every tear will be wiped away, every sorrow will be replaced with joy, and every hurt will be fully healed. So we understand His presence. And by clinging to His presence... We have an assurance of developing a battle-ready faith. So, so far, we have two things to be prepped for this battle. We have His promises. And we have His presence. And one more thing. Look at verses 7 and 8. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the left or to the right so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. It is impossible to be properly prepped for battle apart from the Word of God. We must be people who are in His Word. Verse 8 talks about it being in your mouth, meaning we're talking about it. We're discussing it with one another. We're, we're, we're hashing it out back and forth between each other. Uh, again, the idea of helping to understand it. And then it says to meditate on it. And that means to keep it in your mind, to think about it, to go over it, over it, and over it again. Uh, looking at it from different angles so that you can know how to... Uh, it applies to the various situations of your life. You're ruminating on it, so it's there in your heart and mind at all times. It is the Word of God that is the primary trainer for the battle. In 2 Timothy 3, we read, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It's this particular truth, uh, that, that's why we as a church have made a commitment to, to being Bible-based in, in all of our teaching. We, we preach from the Bible, not from you know, modern philosophy or, or uh, opinions or ideas. Our, our Sunday school classes and small groups and, and Bible studies, no matter what age, are geared towards teaching the Scripture. The Bible is foundational for building a battle-ready faith. But it's not just reading, hearing, studying the Word of God. You notice that as we read those verses? We are in the Word for the express purpose of allowing the Bible to guide our lives. Knowing the Word of God, knowing what it says, is meaningless apart from doing it. As verse 8 says, we talk about it and we meditate on it so that when you hear those words, so that, that means this is a purpose clause. This is a purpose statement here. We do it so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. It is by following God's instructions, His pattern for this life, His ways, that we are prepped 
and prepared for battle with a very strong faith. And there's a positive consequence when we do that, right? I mean, look again at verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that, purpose statement again, so that you may have success wherever you go. The secret to our success is no secret at all. It is knowing and following God's plan. It is abiding in His presence. And it is standing on His promises. Those three things. There are a lot of Christians today who want to be successful. Unfortunately, uh, too many of them equate that with worldly success, as in having lots of money or status or that type of thing. God wants us to be spiritually successful, to be ready for battle, victorious in living this Christian life. Therefore, He gives us what we need for that success. There may be many Christians who want success, but not nearly as many who are willing to be like Joshua, who faithfully put one foot in front of the other, choosing to obey God, assured of His presence, and counting on His promises. And he did that one step after the other, after the other, for his life. And he was successful. It's the same for you and me. Do you want to be prepped and strong and ready for the battles of this life? Then count on the promises of God. Abide in his presence. And know his word choosing to obey it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the clarity of teaching that we can receive through your word. We thank you for the example these men and women of faith that have gone before us. And we pray, God, that we can learn from it. God, we are so grateful for your promises which never change and we know we can count on we are thankful for your presence which is with us even in the skirmishes and 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 uh, injuries and and uh, scars of the battle and we thank you for your word which guides us and leads us and we pray god that we can be obedient to what you have shown us we pray this in jesus name amen Would you stand with me? Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing our great Redeemer's praise. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of the 